Hello and welcome to the Trap Little Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Runcy. Our guest today is Sherry Hu, who is the creator and owner of Water and Music, a newsletter, podcast, and membership site that is dedicated to unpacking big ideas and trends in music and technology. She's also a freelance journalist. Sherry, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. For those of you that read Trapital this past week saw that we did a newsletter takeover. And it's funny because back in December, I think it was either November or December, Sherry had emailed me and she was like, hey, what do you think of this? We should do this. We should do a newsletter takeover. And then I paused and said, what's a newsletter takeover? <laughs> and she broke it down and it it was good for a number of reasons. One, just from an independent publisher perspective, I think it does make sense for people like her and I to be able to collaborate on stuff like this. This idea of fantasy and how it's picked up in sports and how it translates to music and whether or not that could pick up was definitely something that was in the back of my mind. When you brought up the idea, I was like, hey, that's great. Let's do it. I'm sure we got some thoughts on it. Yeah, um, I think my stance... Uh, was actually slightly more skeptical than I actually ended up being. I could break it down into two sections. One, so unlike yourself, I uh, I haven't really done like a fantasy sports experience personally, but I know some people who have. And the one like major distinction to me is the concept of the event of a game. Um, and I didn't really see, for, for some reason, I didn't really see the equivalent of um, an event like that in the music world. And in, in doing more research for this article, I realized that like maybe the closest thing would be a, a, a festival where you have multiple artists performing. Um, but even then, it's not an event where you really have uh, you know two parties competing against each other or that that's not really the point of the event. And then two, and this ended up being a pretty substantial section of my piece, is this concept of uh, competition in the first place in the music industry. Um, I feel like people in music are already, uh, you know, having their heads spinning around artist competition on like the billboard charts, on streaming playlists. Like there are already so many other sources of kind of like stressing out and freaking out around data that uh, I, I don't know if like how much, if anything, the fantasy label experience would add to that or would it improve that? Would it maybe help that out a little bit? I was really skeptical about that. And then just how like fans interact with, uh, music as an art form and like music culture, I feel like the value that, that they get is not necessarily from pure uh, numbers driven competition among uh, among artists. If anything, yeah, if anything, music culture thrives the most when it's uh, when it's more collaborative and when a lot of artists are winning at the same time, which obviously is not the case uh, in sports. Yeah, that last point was something you emphasized strongly in your piece. Sports and the success of what is seen in sports is more directly correlated to the success of what someone would have in fantasy, right? Your best wide mm -hmm. receivers are most likely to be the people that score the most points in fantasy football. That isn't always the case, but more often than not, it is. But in music, it's so different because like you said, it isn't an event. So there isn't like a set 
point where people mm-hmm, were competing. Mm-hmm, and this right. is something that I had struggled with as I was trying to think about how this could be feasible mm-hmm. on a mainstream adoption perspective. So that was one of the things. But yeah, just a bit more on that point. I mean, we can go across genres, whether it's hip hop or outside of hip hop, the artists that would be the most prolific from a points accumulation perspective, however you want to measure that, whether that's commercial success, tickets, streaming, etc., it wouldn't necessarily correlate to who who are considered to be the best or the most talented. And I think some of that makes that narrative a bit tougher. Mm, yes. And yeah, this is another thing that I um, talked about too, and it kind of was at the root of my initial skepticism too, is uh, is like defining success. So, so not, uh, you know, not even just commodifying or like fully datafying artists in general, but also just defining what success is. And that's something that I found um, interestingly, yeah, like a lot of apps in this space did have to think about like, what are we measuring? How much flexibility do we give? Um, And there were, I think fan label, when I talked to um, the founder of that app, he said that uh, in the future, they want it to be like totally open. So, uh, you know, fans or maybe even artists could host their own contests or labels more appropriately could host their own contests um, and kind of set their own metrics in terms of what they're measuring um, and like how artists can, how artists and the fantasy rosters that they're on can kind of climb up the ladder. Cause uh, as you'll see in a lot of like music industry reports, especially the ones that have come out recently, uh, like the top streaming artists will be totally different from the top radio artists, uh, like terrestrial radio, meaning um, who'll be very different from the top like artists by follower growth on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. So there, there are just a lot of different ways to measure success, which in the grand scheme of the music industry is amazing. And that kind of like collapses. Um, the, 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 there's a danger of that collapsing in a fantasy environment where um, everyone competing, at least in the same competition, uh, is kind of subject to that. What do you think about Billboard has made several attempts to try to put all of these different things on an even playing field, right? Whether it is a physical download or a digital download or a stream, whether it's on YouTube or on a paid service. I think that's the closest thing that music could ever get. But even that in itself is imperfect. It would just emphasize the the wrong things if people try to focus on that as the metric of success. Yes. And um, artists can very easily game that system. Um, whereas it's, it's, I mean, it's just a totally different game quote unquote of like an artist trying to get to the top of the billboard charts versus like, um, a sports team trying to win against another sports team. Just like the, the strategy is just like totally different. And it's, I would argue in sports, uh, I don't know if this is true, but I, I would argue in sports that because you have another like team against you, it's so much more complicated than, um, just, a formula. Obviously, you have to take into account, you know, how different teams or like different teams, coaches, et cetera, play um, with different all different players' stats, like the other team is like. Whereas on the Billboard charts, it's just a formula. If you uh, get the highest album equivalents or whatever, this this would be for like the album chart. If you get the highest number of album equivalents based on this formula, then um, then you will win, quote unquote. Then you will be at the top and. That, that's just much more easily gamed. Um, and you're seeing everyone ranging from Justin Bieber, who like posted these screenshots asking fans 
um, to stream his music overnight on Instagram. He's like not the first one. Um, you're seeing like fans kind of coordinate to do the same thing for a lot of uh, you know K-pop acts, a lot of Asian acts too. So um, it's just a totally different dynamic. And 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 when artists do game that system, I would say most people are not happy, or most fans kind of see through that and they see that as like not being authentic, not being really true to why why music as an art form exists in the first place. And so, yeah, even that, like, even that chart, which is hypothetically very comprehensive, already gets a lot of backlash. Right, because I think the the big difference between the two with sports versus fantasy, specifically, not sports versus fantasy, but sports versus um, music, as it relates to fantasy, is the fact that the fans are removed from the sport experience Right. Exactly. I I think we both talked about this. If I go buy a LeBron James jersey or if I go buy a Russell Wilson jersey, I don't have any impact on what actually happens on Sunday. Right. Yes. But if I go and stream Selena Gomez's song because she tells me she wants to go number one, as she shamelessly did, as Justin Bieber did the week before, then that's going to help them, right? (laughs) So I do think that that changes the dynamic quite a bit. I think what makes fantasy football and all these other sports interesting is that fans don't truly have any agency in the outcome beyond their desire and their passion and what have you. But in music, you do. So when you think about all of the corruption or issues that may corruption might be a strong word manipulation more so that already exists in sports to some extent because of fantasy it would be compounded even more Mm. in the music industry now the only things that fans have no say in are the subjective things like the awards and that's a whole nother mess to to work through right uh okay two things one uh funny you mentioned like uh a sports fan buying a sports jersey and that not really impacting the charts um, because there's this whole merch bundle thing going on uh, that actually, I guess, compelled Billboard to slightly change their rules around specifically what kind of merch transactions will be counted in the charts. But like, that's a perfect example of something that would not have any impact in sports actually having very tangible impact uh, in the, on the music side, at least uh, look at like the top 10 right. Billboard charts to the point where, uh, you have like these huge stars like DJ Khaled like complaining about it. So uh, yeah, so so there's that. And then what was I going to say? Oh, okay. One comment um, that the fan label CEO made um, that I found very interesting, and I'm still trying to figure out if I actually agree with it. So he whether fans could have uh, you know the potential to really influence the outcome. Uh, of these like fantasy label experiences just by nature of consuming the the product at hand. Part of his response was like, oh, we we don't actually uh, want this to be data-driven and we want, um, like, we, we don't want this to be serious. We want it to be a bit, like a lighthearted competition um, where mainstream consumers, like, they, they don't have to be super fans, can uh, just, like, be on the app, put on their favorite artists and just, like, see what happens. Um and that, that actually uh, contrasted with someone else I interviewed, or I think most people I've talked with just about this concept in general, uh, even outside of this article, who who's claimed that uh, who claim that fantasy label experiences are really for super fans and they're really for this very small niche audience of um, general music fans, I guess, who are really passionate about 
like digging through and discovering like new artists or like figure out which artists are really going to break and kind of like studying that on a really microscopic granular level. Uh, like that's super niche. I just thought that was an interesting comment because I really uh, don't think the fantasy label experience based on just like music fandom in general uh, is a lighthearted thing. <laughs> I think, I think, I think it ended up being a very, like serious and like as as we've been talking about it's most extreme and uh, like a very involved experience on the part of the band yeah i would um hearing that comment from the you said it was the ceo right yeah yeah uh i I would i would disagree yeah i'm gonna push back on that because i think that what makes fantasy football specifically more than any of the other sports as popular as it is is because it's able to attract both the hardcore super fans and the casual fans. And when mm. I think about the things that have taken off in media over the past few years, especially the games, they offer that same type of optionality, right? Like mm. if you mm-hmm. want to play Fortnite and just do your own thing and roam around, you can do that. If you want to get involved with all of the tasks and things that you have to do and go hardcore about it and try to compete against the top people, you can do that too. And I think fantasy in that same way, at least the way it's set up from the head-to-head matchups and all that, you can do all your research, run your aggressions, and optimize your lineup to have the perfect team. And more likely than not, I think you will be rewarded for that effort. Or if you just want to put in you know, your minimal effort, make sure your lineup's active, you can at least have a chance. And I think that's what makes it interesting. But the thing is, that doesn't necessarily exist in music in the same way, because I think football benefits from the fact that it's the most watched thing week in, week out at that event aspect. And because music doesn't have that, it's not to the same aspect. Yes, yes. Yes. I feel like the closest thing I could think about is like, let's say a big album drops, right? Like we all know that Drake's album is about to drop or Travis Scott's mm-hmm. going to drop Astroworld. Super fans are going to be at the computer at midnight, you know, Thursday night, Friday morning, expecting it to drop and listening to it and talking about how it's a classic after listening to two tracks and all the other stuff that goes on, <laughs> right? right? Like That's very much ingrained, but that's still such a small subset of people that live on Twitter and hip hop heads, Reddit threads doing that, those things. And if you're on those threads at midnight on a Thursday, you're not a casual listener. You are a super yeah. fan. That is literally the definition. And those are the people that are going to be in tuned enough to participate in something like this on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's such a good point. Yeah. Going back to the event element, like the equivalent would maybe be these artists dropping, um, like dropping a single every week or something, which which some artists will do uh, leading up to an album release, but then kind of what happens after that. And then you see, yeah, you see with all of these album drops that um, at least at the mainstream level, uh, so with album drops or even with like single drops, it kind of like uh, spikes super quickly and then kind of like goes down just as quickly. Um, and so yeah, that would be really interesting as like a uh, fantasy label app trying to figure out how to account for that. Like, oh, uh, is like how does that then factor into like labels that have that artist uh, when that single comes out? Does it mean that that artist is like really uh, kind of in demand one week, but then like the streams are? Oh no, the streams are down uh, to not not two hundred percent. The streams are down like by more than fifty percent. Um, oh, so it's, it's like not in demand anymore. Like, is it, are you really going to like seriously treat it like, like actually like a stock movement 
because um, in that case, then yeah, it's 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 really hard to translate that to music in a world where um, at least on the recorded music side, uh, these releases aren't as common. Right. Like hearing you break that down, it makes me think a lot about Travis Scott. And I think we'll talk about him in a little bit because he, he was mm-hmm. involved in the um, that meme that I posted in my article about how would you spend yes. your $15. But I forget what, what song or when it was. You know the song Highest in the Room that he dropped like a couple months ago? Yes. Uh-huh. So the song debuted at number one. And as someone that follows this industry and listens to this stuff – I literally saw it and I was like, wait, which song? And then I had to think. I was like, oh, that's the one that he did the merch drop for like mm. Thursday or Wednesday or whenever it was. And now it's the number one song on Monday. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's completely understanding how the system works. And yeah, he got the number one song in the country, but it feels different than, I guess, most of the other songs that were the number one song in the country at some point, like by the time like Lizzo truth hurts became number one, I knew what it was right. By the time that yeah, old town road yeah. was number one, I knew yeah. what it was, but um, what's his name? Travis Scott just being able to be like, Nope, I dropped the single because everyone bought my t-shirts or the um, whatever collab it was. And like, yeah. those are the kind of people that not people, but those are the kind of artists that succeed in that type of way. And in some ways, it does remind me a little bit of the, I don't want to call it arbitrage because that's probably giving it too favorable of a word, but identifying mm-hmm. the gap between the people that are great at putting up stats in sports versus those that are considered great. And this might be a little bit of a nuance, but I remember playing fantasy and my friends and I would often talk about, okay, these are the best running backs or these are the best wide receivers on the table. And you would literally think to yourself, okay, if this player is on too good of a team, then they might stop playing as hard in the fourth quarter. They might put their reserves in. And if they put their reserves Mm -hmm. in, that means it might be less stats for your star player. So if you Mm -hmm. want to win, is it best to have the best guy equivalent that's going to be on a team that ends up barely making the playoffs because they're fighting every game versus the team that's going to be coasting because they've already won, won it out by uh, yeah. the holidays. So that's something that reminded me of that to that same extent, but still it's nowhere near. I feel like that difference that we see in music where it can be such a wide gap between um, who's considered great versus who can you just put up numbers. Yeah. And um and this, I guess, now goes to uh, the question of like what I uh, what I discovered in my research. This other music and tech journalist named Stuart Dredge um, pointed me to this app called Fantasy Music Manager, which is based in Norway. And right now, um, they're working with um, this Norwegian music competition, which is like the local feeder competition for the Eurovision Song Contest, which is pan European. Um, and in, so in doing more research into that app, I realized that that is actually probably the closest thing um, in music or in musical entertainment to a fantasy football or fantasy sports-like experience because it is a competition. Uh, there is an elimination every week or whenever the episode airs. Uh, and, and there is a very clear winner. Um, the, the only thing, though, is that those shows – like that, that is also a limited amount of time. So from the app's perspective, kind of like once that competition is done, they kind of have to like go on to the next thing. And, and there aren't that many 
voice competitions, uh, I don't think, that are going on uh, at any given time during the year, let alone ones that would want to partake in a fantasy experience. But um, I just realized that that, that was a, uh, a good example of a, um, yeah, of like a musical experience that will be analogous to fantasy sports. But uh, it should be said is also declining in popularity, I think, anyway. Like if you, if you think about in the U.S., American Idol, like, kind of relaunched, but I don't really know who's watching it. Um, the Voice is more popular because of the judges than because of the contestants. That's kind of my stance. And probably if you see, like, what people are talking about online, it's probably the case. Um, and and it's, it's in part because people aren't going to these competitions to figure out who's, like, the next big artist anymore. Like, they're going to... Uh, they're listening to whatever they want to listen to, or they're going to... Uh, these streaming services like Spotify or Apple Music, which have uh, a very robust kind of curation system to kind of seed either very established artists or kind of the next big artists uh, editorial, editorially and algorithmically. And so I think people have kind of shifted away. It depends on the market, but I think in the aggregate, people have shifted away from uh, from these kinds of competitions and determining which artists they should be paying attention to anyway. But yeah, I just I thought that was an interesting uh, th- finding because it, it, it if anything it made the argument for the fantasy label or fantasy like music contest concept, but in a time where people don't really watch those kinds of shows anyway. Yeah, you had mentioned you had mentioned that point in your article too, and I I agreed with it. I I think that there's things that are good about that concept, but I think there's challenges too. The good thing is that, yes, it is very much a set time frame, and it's intended it to be a competition. And I know that there's been brackets and votes and similarly for whether it's Idol or The Voice or even outside of music, things like The Bachelor and all that stuff. The Yes, right. I think right. The, the sneaky thing about shows like The Voice is that I remember I was writing an article some point last year and the stats and viewership for that show was surprisingly high like higher than i would have thought like the voice got more views than the bachelor and that isn't something that i necessarily thought would have been the case because i think the bachelor is an extremely popular show and probably isn't going to be going anywhere but the voice is there with that said i think you're right in that people want to see you know alicia keys and adam levine more so than the actual um competitors themselves so that's one aspect but i think the other thing that's a little bit more difficult too is that i'm not sure if those shows are necessarily representative of the quote-unquote population so it could be a fantasy yes yeah like it could be a fantasy thing like for those people but i think even just the fact that like you and i are like oh like this show's popular but how many people watch it it's good there's like a certain subset of folks that do but I don't necessarily know how reflective that audience is and of people in general, because I do think one of the things that has made other fantasy leagues or other things interesting is that there's usually enough data or something there that comes in from an an attraction perspective, whether it's to advertisers or some other way to be able to monetize the product. And I think that gets... Are you talking about like uh, audience data? Yeah, audience data specifically. Or voting data, yes. Okay. Yeah. Whereas, uh, right, with, uh, so this could change if shows like Rhythm and Flow on Netflix kind of grow and encourage more shows like that. But for the most part, no rappers on these shows. 
all singers. Right. Um, very pop, very country, folk driven. So yeah, by by nature, you're only fo- you're only focusing on a small audience of people who watch TV or watch these videos on YouTube. That's possible too, but only with a certain handful of genres. Right. Yeah. I'm assuming, did you watch Rhythm and Flow? Uh, I actually have not seen like the last couple episodes, and I really should. Okay. Um, I feel like enough has been written that like. I know who the winner is, but uh, I I saw the first couple of rounds. Okay. I mean, I'm sure you get the concept by now, but yeah, I think one of the things that's interesting with that is that, yeah, this is solely up to um, the voters discretion, right? So in many ways, the fans are not involved at all. So that does bring a little bit of that fantasy sports dynamic that- That's also very true. That isn't there with American Idol, which becomes a fan voting competition towards the end. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. One of the other questions that I had for you was I sent over, or I didn't send it over, but I included in my article a meme specifically about the how would you spend your $15? Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. though I was skeptical about the idea, seeing the popularity and the virality of those types of memes and questions did often make mm-hmm. me think, okay, maybe there's an opportunity for this, right? Because whether it was that yeah. name or something similar, people would post it in my group chats. People would post it on Twitter and it would dominate the discussion for the day about whether or not mm-hmm. you would take this team or who you would take over that person. That shows that there's something there. With that said, does that mean there's something beyond that? Because I think some things can just live as quick memes that people talk about on Twitter and it is what it is versus other things can actually be developed into products that can be monetized in that way. So I'm curious yeah. if you had any thoughts on that. On um, kind of the viability of these kinds of memes to translate into actual products or like things that can be monetized. Yeah. Is that the question? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good question. I mean, um, okay. My answer to that question is partially baked into my answer to the memes question, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, or so. Okay. Okay. So I think I'll, yeah, I'll say my answer for now, which like maybe will change by the end of this. We'll see. But, uh, so if I had $15 to start a record label based on this diagram, uh, I would choose for now, uh, J Cole. Oh, wait, before, Kendrick. before you go through, let, oh, let, oh, let, yeah. let me describe the diagram for people. So they know. Okay. Yes, so yes. there's five tiers for this diagram. You have $15 to start a record label. There are three artists at the $5 tier, three artists at the $4 tier, $3, $2, one, and so on. So you can spend your $15 as you choose. If you go linearly, you can spend it on one, $5, $4, $3, and so on, but you can mix things up. So with the $5 tier, it's J. Cole, Kendrick Lamar, Kanye West. At the $4 tier, it's Travis Scott, Joey Badass, and Drake. Why those artists are at the $4 yeah. tier, I have no idea. <laughs> Drake, seriously? But, yeah. That's, that's, that's a hot take. Yeah. Drake should be at the $6 <laughs> tier, but yeah. we can, that, that's another story for another day. Um, yeah. At the $3 tier, we have ASAP Rocky, Chance the Rapper, and Tyler the Creator. $2 tier, Earl Sweatshirt, Childish Gambino, and Jid. And at the $1 tier is Isaiah Rashad, Denzel Curry, and Pusha T. Okay. So, yeah, I'll answer the question very quickly. And I think in my, like, thought process around this, well, 
kind of my like opinion on whether this can be actually productized will come out. Okay, so my label for now is um, J. Cole and Kendrick, who are both on the $5 tier, Tyler the Creator on the $3 tier, and Childish Gambino on the $2 tier. And if, okay, this also maybe is not the best label in terms of revenue. If I were trying to optimize my revenue, for sure I'll be choosing Drake. Um, Kanye is kind of like, uh, maybe like problematic in the music industry right now, but for sure we would choose Kanye because people will listen to his stuff uh, no matter what happens really, at least at this moment. Um, and so th- those picks that I chose were, I guess, maybe a reflection of my, uh, my personal taste in terms of like what I'm listening to right now. Um, I feel like uh, also with, I, I feel like a lot could happen with, with this label, but I feel like with uh, J Cole and, Tyler, the creator, and um, Gambino in particular, they're all very, uh, I guess, diversified artists, if that makes sense. Well, Gambino uh, especially, because like music is just one part of what he does. He also is like super involved in the um, film world uh, and the film and acting, and he's like a very multi-hyphenate entertainer. Um, and then, oh, I guess J. Cole and uh, Tyler, the creator as well, I guess both have histories as part of these uh, crews, or J. Cole now has Dreamville. Um, I don't know how that would factor into answering this question, uh, but I feel like they, they have like really tight, not just tight-knit artist networks, but also networks of fans who are fans of that network. Um, so I feel like that will uh, have like a really positive influence on this label. And then uh, I've just been, I'm like a huge fan of Kendrick. Uh, I think To Pimp Butterfly was one of the best uh, albums of like the past decade for sure, or like definitely like game changing album. So just personally, I'm very interested in um, what he's doing for rap and hip hop as a whole. And so my, my decision-making here is like definitely more cultural or whatever analysis I'm doing is more like culturally leaning rather than purely like analytics leaning. Um, and that, and the reason why I say that like my answer to, or the reason why I say my picks for my label kind of point to my opinion on whether this can be productized is precisely because of that debate. And like that debate will always be there. And I, I guess, I guess you could make a product out of this, but I don't really see what, uh, what it would really add aside from maybe having an award for artists who appeared on the most labels, but then kind of, then so what is kind of the question I would ask. Like it, it would be a fun, like gimmicky kind of, uh, app to put together in, in this specific context, but I don't, yeah, I'm not sure if it's something that fans would actually want to uh, maintain over a longer period of time. That makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, one, I love the breakdown. I love the separation of the two thoughts with it, because I do think with something like this, the thought is that, okay, you have your $15, I have my $15, and let's see that based on however they measure these metrics, who ends up with the most quote-unquote points or quote-unquote money after a year-long period or after a six-month period. So Mm -hmm. that part of it's interesting. But hearing you um, break it down in that type of way, it does make me reflect on what I would have picked, or not what I would pick, but how I went about mine. And I'll be the first to say I went about mine a bit more shamelessly 
uh, from a, okay, let me put my mind, like I am the GM for the Houston Rockets and I'm just trying to play analytics. How can I get as many points on the board if my goal of starting a record label is to make money? And I know that not every label there, like Dreamville, definitely that is not their focus MO, but with me, if I'm trying to make the money, let me grab $4 Drake because that's clearly a bargain. It should be more. <laughs> I'm going to grab $4 yeah. Travis Scott. I will take Tyler the Creator for $3, Childish Gambino for 2 and Pusha T for 1 And with that, okay. that leaves that extra dollar over. So I can either pocket that or hold on to it. Or if I have to spend it, I'd probably spend it on Denzel Curry for the potential upside there. But mm-hmm. I, I think... The, the real argument became, okay, why wouldn't I take um, Kendrick when I could take – when I took Travis Scott and an extra dollar instead? And the thought there is – it kind of goes back to the discussion, right? If you're trying – if I'm trying to build this label that I think has the best opportunity to be historically renowned and made some of the best music that gets remembered for decades, it's Kendrick. But I would have to look at the numbers myself, but I mean I, – it's hard to compete with the type of money that Travis Scott's able to pull and the way that he's able to just play the game, do his merch bundles, yeah. use his albums, leverage his fame in every way possible to make as much money. And that's just something that Kendrick doesn't do as much. The guy barely yeah, uses yeah. Instagram. I mean, I'm pretty sure that half of the people <laughs> on this list have more Instagram followers than Kendrick. And that's not a knock totally. at him. That's just more so what he's doing. But it all goes into where do I see the money being there? And of course, I think Drake speaks for himself outside of, you know, a Post Malone or an Ariana Grande. He's right up there as being the most, well, I mean, he was the most streamed artist of the decade. Um, Tyler, the creator, if I could spend $3 for someone that can sell out Madison Square Garden, I'm going to take that artist. Childish Gambino, he pulled in like the biggest crowd that outside lands. That's a music festival out here mm-hmm. in San Francisco has seen. And Pusha T from the name recognition uh, at $1 and just having him and Drake as enemies on the same team is just entertaining mm-hmm. to me. So I want to make that happen. Yeah. Um, okay. To uh, speaking of uh, Gambino and Outside Lands, I think the question would be, or I feel like the task at hand would be a lot more different uh, if we weren't just talking about the label side. Like if we were saying um, we can, how, how do you, how does one articulate this? Okay. So you can say you can build a portfolio of artists where you have, um, you're investing in and have an upside in their entire business. So not just the label side, but also the touring side, maybe, uh, I mean, this, this will be hard to put together as a product. Cause a lot of this isn't publicly available, but like, uh, if they're, if they, if they have a huge like brand sponsorship or endorsement, for instance, you would take part in that money. Um, who would you pick? I feel like looking at artists in that like multi-dimensional way, which I think is closer to the reality of how these artists make money and, and just operate day to day anyway, um, would yield very different results. Um, because, I mean, one bigger conversation that happens a lot in the music industry at large is that you'll have um, artists who, like, don't stream very well but regularly sell out shows internationally. And then the other way around is, like, kind of more shocking to people where um, you have artists who uh, have, like, tens, hundreds of millions of streams but aren't really selling out their shows um, that much. Okay, as an example... Chance just canceled his tour, right, for um, for his latest album. 
Um, there's a lot of speculation on why that happened. And so in that situation, maybe he wouldn't be, um, maybe he wouldn't even be on the $3 tier per se. And he also maybe doesn't have as truly global or, or international of a reach as maybe some of the other rappers um, on here. I'll have to look into that. But uh, yeah, I, so I think it would obviously make the game a lot more complicated, but maybe like more realistic to how artists actually operate in terms of not just looking at the label, but also looking at their other revenue streams too. So the game then becomes, who could you sign to a 360 deal? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> which might which might not roll very well with some people. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny, right? Because it's one of these things where that's what it would be labeled. Would people care that it's obviously removed in that way that this is a yes. fantasy game? But just the connotation of how the definition of, not the definition, but how people feel about these deals has evolved over time. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. But I mean, in many ways, that's essentially what what it is. But with that said, I don't know. I do think that there is something for the simplicity of these things, too. And yes, as much as, yeah. you know, people that are really into this, like not even I think people even beyond you or me from like a research or writing perspective, but the people that really research this stuff, it's there. But this it all goes back to the. The, the super fan dynamic, like what are you trying to build? Like what is your goal? And do you understand who that person is and who and how big that market is? Yeah. And I think uh, this also introduces uh, an important aspect of scarcity maybe to the recording process. Cause I think what, what, what's happened, sorry, not the recording process, the, the, um, the process of discovering music on the recording side, like say on a streaming service, uh, you get your Spotify year end wrapped uh, campaign I think I quote unquote discovered over a thousand artists this year, but I like cannot name the vast majority of them. Um, I'd probably be lucky if I like was able to write down over a hundred of them by name, you know, of artists I discovered. And so they're like in a streaming environment, it's the opposite of scarcity. They want these services definitely want to communicate the fact that they have, you know, tens of millions of tracks um, and like a ton of artists on their platform for you to discover and so your commitment to one artist versus the other, I think will naturally go down over time um, as you use the platform more. Whereas here, it's like uh, even like imaginary concrete money, uh, a concrete number of artists. Um, it Yeah, it just it yields a lot more interesting insights where you have to actually make a choice about, you know, whose music you pay for or who you would invest in, which was, you know, not that long ago how we would consume uh consume and buy music i guess pre uh internet pre napster all that stuff true it's like who you listen to is no longer just a sense of enjoyment it's tied into this game which in many ways is what happened with fantasy football but that is a good problem that the league and everyone else leaned into but that would definitely be challenged with the music industry yeah Yeah. for sure uh so last question for you on this before we wrap things up uh, one of the things I had talked about in my article was the fact of having a pure play or a standalone app that does this versus yes, right. looking at what's happened in sports and seeing that these are not standalone apps that people are using. They are tied into larger media entities, both ESPN and Yahoo being to two the two giants in this place and knowing that that data that they're capturing and everything else is then either used to be able to upsell or uh, present other types of products or use it to inform certain things. And it, at least when I was writing my article, it reminded me 
of how other companies use different uh, business units to subsidize one versus the other. And A, what could that look like in music? Because I think that's one of the challenges. And that's why we don't even see standalone fantasy football leagues or companies doing things in that same type of way. Because at least my take is that I think that these things need to be or it needs to be combined or it's at its strongest if there's some other entity to lean on no different than an Apple music or an Amazon music or something like that. Yeah. Um, that, it's, it's, it's a really good question. Um, and I'm glad you wrote about that in your piece. I think, um, another thing I learned in, in writing my piece that I thought was fascinating, uh, is that next big sound actually started out as a fantasy label. So for those who don't know, next big sound is, uh, I think like, was really a pioneer in bringing in and uh, bring in predictive analytics for the music industry into the main, into the mainstream, uh, especially. And so they would, uh, their core product now, so Pandora bought them around five years ago, but their core product was kind of ranking um, all artists across multiple streaming platforms, including but not limited to uh, Pandora, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, et cetera, on um, like how much they were going to blow up kind of making predictions about that. And I think they had like a decent track record around that, probably why Pandora wanted to buy them. But they first started out as a fantasy label and they focused on emerging artists. Uh, They allowed users to uh, create, I think they only had 10 slots. So you had 10 slots to quote unquote sign any number of emerging or unsigned artists. Um, And then you would hypothetically earn points over time. Uh, but I think they, they only got like 2,000 users or so over the course of four months. And so it didn't take up that much. And so they very quickly pivoted um, into this B2B data analytics uh, uh, offering. But I thought that pivot was very illuminating because it kind of revealed to me how maybe the two are not that far away from each other. Like the, the offering that Next Big Sound offers now in terms of Tracking, tracking consumption where it's already happening um, and tracking these maybe like micro communities of influence where, like, where they're already thriving and taking place and aggregating them and ranking artists in that way. Um, maybe is, uh, if, if, if the goal is to service artists and labels and to give them some kind of market research, that might actually be better than just telling fans to put together um, you know, a limited roster of 10 artists. Or, or it, might, it might be more accurate in terms of reflecting actual popularity. Um, so yeah, that's one thing. And then very quickly, the second thing, so fan label, uh, they, I think they see, um, they see what they're building as definitely more of like a fan engagement play as well. So, um, so they actually have limited contests that are limited time. That's kind of like how they put an end to their contests. And then I think if you earn the most virtual royalties, uh, it's what they call points from your roster you can exchange that for merch. And so they have like an active um, marketplace already on their app where you can purchase, uh, I think it's mostly like major label artist merch. They must be working with um, directly with management or with labels on that. Um, but yeah, but they're so, so, so it is already slightly diversified in that sense or like the, the play there is giving, yeah, giving better super fan, Data, which is kind of ironic because I guess the CEO claims that they're not just for super fans, but uh, getting better super fan data over to the artists and labels and kind of strengthening that relationship. So, yeah, that makes sense. I, 
hearing the family will aspect, especially when you're trying to serve and sell insights. I do think that there's a non super fan aspect that is engaging there because if you're able to get meaningful insights and data, people will appreciate if it's both not only super fans, but it's the, um, the casual folks as well, because in many ways we know that casual listeners and being able to drive them is where so much of the money is made. So so, That's yeah. true. Um, yeah. But yeah, I feel like yeah. overall for me, uh, well, one, I haven't played fantasy anything in years just because I've been burnt out uh-huh. and lost money, but also won money. And I just felt like there's better ways to spend time. But in the meantime, I will appreciate these memes as they come around my yeah. timeline <laughs> and share them with friends and other people. And now I'm, I'll share them with you as well to get your take because these are the kind of conversations that are fun, but where do these conversations or where does the opportunity go beyond this? We'll see, but it sounds like we're both skeptical. Mm-hmm. Uh, to wrap things mm-hmm. up, yeah. I believe this is now the second podcast we've done together, me doing the one that you had back in March. This is your first time now being on the Traffle podcast. Is there anything that you would like to plug or let our audience know about? Yes. Uh, let's see. Okay. I guess the... Uh, yeah, there'll be two things. So one, thank you for mentioning that uh, podcast that we did. I guess that was a, a while ago now, but lots of fun. Uh, I have a couple more episodes coming out uh, for the next couple weeks uh, for that podcast. So you can find that. It's called the Water and Music Podcast as well. Um, there's a link on my website, sherryhu.com, C-H-E-R-I-E-H-U.com. Or you can go to waterandmusic.transistor.fm. So I use Transistor as the hosting site. Um, you can find all the episodes there. You can also find, oh, of course, you can also find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Pocket Casts, Overcast, Stitcher, all the main uh, podcast apps. And then, um, yeah, if not already, it would be great if you could follow my newsletter and subscribe. It's also called the Water Music Newsletter. Um, if you just search it on Google, it should come up in the first couple of results. If not, um, bit.ly slash water and music, B-I-T dot L-Y slash water and music. Um, all spelled out, all lowercase, and that should be there. Great. And I will include those links in the show notes for this podcast as well, so it can be easy for people to get them. But Sherry, this was fun. I'm glad that you made the time. I'm glad that we did research on this. And for anyone that is interested even more and hasn't read our articles yet, please encourage you to go to the uh, Trapital.co website, and you can read Sherry's article that she did with her research on this topic. And when you're done with that, you can go over and head to Water and Music, and you can check out the article that I did on hers. And make sure you sign up for her newsletter. Yes, please do that. <laughs> and yeah, thanks. This is this is a ton of fun. Thanks again for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go tell at least one friend about this podcast. Word of mouth is still the best way to grow. If you use Apple Podcasts, please go rate and review. That helps continues to boost Trapital Podcast in the rankings. And also, please go to the Trapital.co website. That's T-R-A-P-I-T-A-L dot C-O. There is a ton of great content there. So please check out the articles, sign up for the newsletter, and I'll see you all next time.